Wow, the dog just comes in now. That wasn't. That's not my dog. Oh, is that uh, is that Brian's dog? I, or is that's that Inspector Clouseau's dog? That's a COVID dog. That's Mad Doug. COVID dog. Hey, it is the Mid-September Glop Culture Podcast. I am John Podhoritz in New York with Jonah Goldberg in Washington. Hi, Jonah. Hello. And Rob Long, who is um, has gone from extreme <laughs> cold to extreme heat. <laughs> that sounds like a, an ad from extreme cold to extreme heat. In a yes, yes I'm uh, I'm uh, in, in a the, world. In the, I'm in the British Virgin Islands, um, and uh, here for a birthday for a friend of mine who um, was very generous, um, and. We're here, and the only thing that's weird about being here is that uh, a one person tested positive for COVID on an island, a small island, <laughs> and we're all on the island together. And uh, they, so they keep testing us. And I, who have been vaxxed twice and have had COVID, have tested in the abnormal range. I tested abnormal yesterday without well, any other Well, maybe you're guests. abnormal because you have so many antibodies that you actually – have no co- you have you have negative COVID and that's what's abnormal. Yeah, or like- maybe maybe a Bermudan <laughs> hunchback at the lab switched your sample with AB a- normals, and ah, that's how, that's be. how you got where we are. That Abby, could be, that Abby could be. something. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a Abby something. <laughs> Abby was the normal? name of the was the na- the name on the on the on the brain was Abby something. Abby normal. <laughs> Abby um, normal. I guess the uh, question is, is that reference something that dates you or does, yes. does everybody yes. has everybody seen Young Frankenstein? Has everybody no, dates my you. daughter? My daughter would automatically not know what I'm talking about there. Yeah. Right. OK. Yeah. I, I, my kids haven't seen it. Um, and, you know, the funny thing about Young Frankenstein, which, you know, is heralded as, you know, a great classic and one of the great comedy films of all time is i remember when i saw it when i was i don't know 13 or 14 i just i didn't think it was that funny you know really? it, was a, mm-hmm. it was a it was a very good it was an interesting kind of parody because of the verisimilitude right the black and white the way it looked the way it the way it sort of was was put together um, but you know, compared to Blazing Saddles, which he, which Mel Brooks had just done, I think like nine months earlier or something like that, I was like mildly disappointed. I prefer it to Blazing Saddles. There you go. I think now I would prefer it to Blazing yeah, Saddles. Yeah, on a rewatch these days, I prefer it to Blazing Saddles. But the I mean, moment Blazing when he Saddles says goodbye, so yeah, yeah. he go says ahead, goodbye go to Madeline Kahn at the train station, and she's just ready to go out, and she's like. Uh, no, 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 not on lips. I, I, I have to go to the yeah. swing by a party. And then, then he's sort of holding her from behind. And he, and she goes, you love me? You bet your boots it does. Oh, my only love. Taffeta, darling. Taffeta, sweetheart. No, the dress is taffeta. It wrinkles so easily. Oh. Taffeta, darling. Taffeta. Crush, you know. And then at the end, they just bump elbows. Yeah. Fondly bump elbows because <laughs> that's the only part yeah. of her that she'll let him touch. No, Great. that's what I think. See, I was thirteen, and that didn't that didn't amuse me very much. The only the thing that I remember being particularly amusing was when 
when Gene Wilder, you know, knees the old man in the balls. That was, you know, because I was 13. So that was right. funny. The that was patient, funny. the patient that he's de- demonstrating the pain response on. So um, I was, when it came out, I was six, I think. Right. So like, I don't remember when I first saw it, but, um, uh, the scene at the medical school where one of the patients is yeah. asking about the is, it, is it the vermicelli noodle that uh, became yeah. animated after being left alone. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was like science. <laughs> and, yeah. and it stuck yeah. in my head is like, oh, my gosh, we can reanimate things if we just like yeah. leave them alone in a Ziploc bag, which was not a yeah. great thing to tell a, like a little kid. Yeah. Anyway, I, I say this only because that one of the weirdest things about culture and movies and things like that is that one one often feels obliged to um, join the chorus of conventional opinion uh, about these things, certainly when movies are like 30, 40, 50 years old and, and, and have, you know, have a kind of general reputation. So if you say, I, I don't know, I didn't really like that that much, you you're afraid that right. somehow you are going to be exposed as a Philistine or a, or a, or a, a non-fun yeah. person or something. It's not hard to do. I mean, it's hard to do anyway when you like something like a, you know, a movie and someone else that you like doesn't like it. And you know, intellectually that that's okay, that we're all allowed to like what we like, but doesn't part of you just really like get mad about it and like, um, yeah, think that maybe they're just dumb or they didn't see it right. Or, and, and I have a hard time remembering to say things like, oh, well, that's, that's too bad. I, I really liked it without adding something a little mean and insulting. Well, maybe, you know, obviously it's probably, it's probably yeah. just, edu- 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 you can think about like how many books you've read. Right. Yeah. Like whether you okay, read Okay. Well, let me book. give you a, let me give right. you an example of this. Let me give you an example of this. I, I don't like vertigo. I never liked Vertigo. I didn't right. like Vertigo before it somehow transmuted from a Hitchcock failure to one of the greatest films of all time. But I, there are people to whom if I say I, I, I don't like Vertigo, they would roll their eyes or say, really? Or something right. like that. And my ultimate, the biggest one, and I think it's interesting because these were both flops when they came out. So I am like the audiences of the day and not like the, you know, rediscovered audiences of later. The sophisticated audience of, of now, yeah. Right. Was I, I don't like the searchers, which I, I, huh. am, I, am, huh. I am, I find it uh, slow and, and, and wooden and Natalie Wood's brown makeup is hilarious. And I understand that I am to think that The Searchers is the greatest of all Westerns and, you know, uh, a remarkable work of, you know, complexity and all of that. And I just, I can't get through it. And how do you guys respond when I say these these two, I make these two heretical pronouncements? What do you want me to do, draw your picture? Spell it out? Don't ever ask me. I I get the vertigo thing. I mean, I kind of like vertigo but i i can kind of get it it's there's a lot there's there's too much muchness in vertigo um the searchers i'd have to rewatch to revisit my opinion on what your view is but i i I, look i think i really don't like citizen kane very much i appreciate it for its oh that's that's an incorrect opinion contributions (laughs) to cinema 
but like, I don't sit there going, gosh, I love watching this. There's certain scenes, you know, I like, um, and there's, and again, you, to me, they're, they're sort of like the Beatles, but without the, the benefit of the fact that like, I, it, it pays off to re-listen to the Beatles, but the Beatles were so pathbreaking and so revolutionary in what they did with music that kids who listen to it today don't understand what the fuss is because everything the Beatles did is now incorporated into so much pop music right, that it's, right. they, they don't know that it was innovative, right? They think it's, oh, I heard this kind of stuff all the time. That's how I feel about a lot of, like when I, I first watched Susan Kane in a film class and they pointed out, you know, my professor pointed out, this is the first time this was done. This is the first time that was done, blah, 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 blah. And it's so successful that it's incorporated those innovate those innovations have been incorporated into cinema now that they just don't seem all that impressive to me anymore. And the story just comes to the fore. And I mean, again, I haven't watched Citizen Kane in a long time, but I have no real desire to go back and do it again. I mean, I, I, again, I sort of understand that that very idea. There's a whole thing where you say, "Oh, I read X book," and I'm not quite sure, you know. I feel bad because I don't quite know what the fuss was about. And then you say, well, you have to understand that it was the first thing that did that. And right. now, <laughs> right. Well, um, te technically, I mean, so I'm trying to yeah. think of what, what you know, uh, Ulysses, for example, which essentially was the foundational work of uh, metafiction or whatever you want to call it. And people, I don't really like the genre that it created, but um, in some ways, the works that followed it uh, and used the techniques are better uh, like what? than like Ulysses. I mean, I'm trying to think. J.R. by William Gaddis is one. Um, but but uh, all, all I'm saying is that is that uh, it, you know when something is so astoundingly innovative, and then yeah, these innovations get become standard yeah. issue. <clears throat> but you can't, almost like they get yeah. You can never you can never actually divorce your taste from these things, which is kind of the fun thing. Like I like Vertigo, I but I I also like the time and place where I saw it, and I like the fact that I haven't seen it, and I like the I just I like the style of it. So I'm not really sure I could defend it as a, you know, as a totally working. There's like some, some parts of it that are now so dated and so weird that if you watch them, you, you, you can't not laugh. I mean, there's a part where Jimmy Stewart is trying to get this girl he's seen who reminds him of this woman that he lost he's obsessed with not to give anything away, but he's trying <laughs> to get her to cut her hair and change her outfit so she dresses more like this person that he lost. Wouldn't you like me? Just me the way I am. When we first started out, it was so good. We, we had fun. And, and then you started in on the clothes. Well, I'll wear the darn clothes if you want me to. If, if you'll just, just like me. And he says to her, when he's like kind of holding her and like kind of shaking her and saying, if you just change your hair, oh, what can it matter to you, he says. <laughs> and like if you're, you know, you live in the modern times, you're that's hilarious that you think, what do you mean what can it matter to you, uh, Jimmy Stewart? Jimmy, you should like, you got to read, uh, I mean, 
you know, I guess this is pre this predates um what's her name? Betty Friedan. So the feminist so it's like this predates all feminism. Citizen Kane I still love. Um I find all the metafiction stuff horrible. I mean I love Ulysses, but everything that it spawned I just find just so incredibly horrible. Um I can't run away from it fast enough. Right. You know what I rewatched this weekend, which I think does hold up as a classic? Roadhouse. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I, um, Road, Roadhouse was insufficiently appreciated in its time, like Vertigo and The Searchers. Mm -hmm. And we've got entirely too many troublemakers here. Too many uh, 40 year old adolescents, felons, power drinkers, and trustees of modern chemistry. I, mean, I, I, think, it's, it's funny. I think it's fair to say that it was. It, that is a that is a work that required the rediscovery of every twelve year old boy on TNT. So it does, and um, uh, and I've I tweeted about this. So apologies if you know where I'm going with this, but like I have found in my midlife that I take my joys where I can find them. <laughs> and one of the things that I have found that I I enjoy more than I should. And it was a really interesting conversation on Twitter when I did this um, about how many people said that the delta between them and their wives is greatest over this single thing of pointing out random background characters and saying that guy was in X. And so there's a scene, one of the many fight scenes in Roadhouse, where a bunch of bad dudes get out of a car, a bunch of the thugs, um, and one and like... Tough guy number four. There's no dialogue. Whatever. I rec. I had to. I had to Google around to confirm it. But he was Captain Turner from the fight scene in Deadwood. His name is Alan Graff, and he's apparently like a major second unit director and stuntman in Hollywood. He's got a lot of credits to his name. Um, but I was so proud of myself. I'm like sitting alone watching this, and I'm. I'm like holding my hand up in the air, looking for someone to high five. It was, I was right. so happy with myself. And then earlier in the day I caught in Batman begins that this is a Prince Prince Joffrey idiot. from game of Thrones is the little street urchin kid in it. Oh, see, that's good. That's I, good. I, I enjoy nothing more. I've told this story before cause it involves someone that Rob worked with, but one of the moments in my life, that was the most exciting, I kid you not, was I went to Barney Greengrass, which is a famous old um, uh, fish, uh, it's, a, it's a sort of a Jewish restaurant on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. As my parents, my, my father would say, and as your parent, an appetizing store. An appetizing store, that's right, because you get herring and you get lox and you get stuff like that. And there I was at Barney Greengrass, which I've been going to since I was a kid, and in walks and sits down an actor named Paul Wilson. Sure. Paul Wilson was in two shows. He was in it's Gary Shandling's show as a as a as Gary's neighbor, a small part. And then he was kind of I don't know what you would call it, right? Background. I mean it wasn't really background, but he was a guy He was the he backup was a, norm, right? Yeah, he was uh he was um the the, the Paul Wilson stories like so he was um uh I don't know what his first episode was, but he came and you know he said a couple of lines. And he was friends with George and Bernadette and a few other people. Bernadette Burkett was is George's wife, uh, and I, and I think George George went George went, and I think definitely Norm. definitely Sherry Eichen and Bill Steinkeller were my bosses when I started um, from um, from the Groundlings. 
uh, or Second City, which was uh, then the improv troupe in, in uh, L.A. and New York and Chicago, sorry. And so they gave him a line, and it was kind of funny. And then we became uh, obsessed with Paul uh, and putting Paul in everything. Uh, and then we we create a whole. If you watch the last season of Cheers, there's a mini arc about how Paul is always left out, <laughs> always left out. He's never. And that we did, we did one of the cruelest jokes I think we ever did that I think actually made it to air. We did a bunch of them with Paul. Um, one was an episode where just I think it was a just a random joke where Sam gets off the phone. And he goes, "Man, I just uh, and, he, and Paul and Norm are at the bar, and he turns to me. I, I just I can't believe it. I just heard from my insurance company, my, my medical insurance company, that we have one extra person we can put on a policy." And Paul looks at him and goes, oh, geez, man, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Sam, so much. I've been out of work for like nine months. I don't have health insurance. My wife is sick. It's been really difficult. Uh, we can't afford it. Um, you really saved my life. And then Sam says, ah, actually, Paul, I was talking to Norm. <laughs> uh, I think I don't oh, know so if I made it there. And then one we did when Sam, uh, it was a wraparound show and Ted, like we, we had a shoot a bunch of shows and Sam uh, got locked out of his apartment and locked out of the bar, and he had to go to his friends for a place to sleep just for the night until he hit the locksmith to let him in his apartment. And um, he shows up to a bunch of people, and they can't – for whatever reason, they can't host him. And then he finally goes – he goes to Paul, and uh, Paul answers the door. He goes, oh, man. Yes, Sam. Yes, of course. I've been waiting for this moment. Of course, I would love to. Uh, You know, I have a a guest room for you, and I can do this, and, you know, we can uh, watch a movie. We stay up watching a movie. I I made s'mores. We can just sit around and talk, and this would be a really great time to kind of get to know you. And then Sam says, actually, you know what, Paul? Let me just try one more person. And then he leaves, (laughs) and we actually shot a scene where – a moment where there's a single tear running down Paul's cheek. And I don't think it ever anyway, there, right there, but it but never anyway, right there. Anyway, so, anyway, so sorry, Paul Wilson. Yeah, yeah no, anyway, no. just for just for listeners, I'll give it right back to you, John. For younger listeners who don't remember Cheers, sorry, Rob. Uh, no, that's right. Wilson is also uh, one of the two Bobs from uh, Office Space. Yes, right. Oh, of course okay. he is. Yes. Okay, go on, John. Sorry. No, I was just going to say that the so so for a certain type of person, just like having that kind of uh, pop culture interest, um, it, it, it's uh, the obscurity. Yeah, uh, relative obscurity is what is exciting, right? It, right. I mean that it, it somehow it's like that's the key to understanding what the club, how the club works, or what the club is. You know that that that. It's Paul Wilson is far more exciting yeah, than right, I was right. in another restaurant like four blocks away a couple of days later, and I saw Michael Douglas who mm. was there with his son, and I was like, yeah, it's Michael Douglas. I mean, it was like right. it was like Michael. It's weird to see someone like Michael Douglas or someone that face famous because even when you're in their presence, they don't really seem real. They don't. Yeah. It, you don't. It's like it's a cardboard cutout or some kind of a. You know, uh, yeah, like cardboard cutout or whatever. <laughs> you know, just not like an actual human being. Yeah, they not don't a journeyman really actor, like actual human beings. Right, I, but a journeyman actor looks looks like you. I remember, um, and, and the, the the contrast for those people is sort of interesting because a lot of them reappeared later in 
50s television, like the, the 30s and 40s stars, or B, B movie stars, or like even, you know, bit players, day players, would reappear as regulars. So TV was famous for, for taking day players from movies and making them stars. And I remember watching some old movie with my brother once, and I cannot remember what it was. And there was a woman, and she was basically, I forget what, she was like a gangster's girl, one of the gangster's girlfriend, and I think she was like a prostitute. And she said something like, uh, you know, why don't you just stick it yourself? Or like, so that, like, incredibly, like she was one of the tough girls, you know, like, uh, you know, we ought to teach you a lesson, you know, your hot lead style. And it was uh, Aunt B from the Andy Griffith show. It was Francis Xavier, who later, like 15 years later, was like, oh, Andy, I made a pie, and Opie yeah. has a fever or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. And I said, well, yeah, right. Like, you could, that's how it worked. That's like, you know, Fred yeah. McMurray went from, uh, I wonder if you wonder, I'm going to kill your husband on a train, to, um, yeah. you know, uh, my Chip son. here. Yeah. Yeah, Chip, uh, I have some wisdom to impart. Wisdom yeah. to impart in a single yeah. shot. Yeah. Because yeah. I am not here when we're filming this. Yeah. I only film for four weeks a month. Four, I'm sorry, see, four I, weeks a year. Four weeks a year, And, yeah. and I, I do all my shots in singles. You'll never see me with these horrible yeah. children of William Dennis. I always have this fantasy about, like, actors, like, particularly ones I don't like. Um, but it would also be fun if they had a sense of humor about it. But, like, ha you know, having an encounter with some actor and saying, like, I don't know, like Alec Baldwin, right? Like running into Alec Baldwin and saying, "Man, you were you were fantastic in Thomas and the Magic Railroad." Yeah, as the conductor and like not being aware of any of his other work. <laughs> I, I had an experience like that with the director Sidney Lumet. So I met the director Sidney Lumet, who was briefly uh, P.J. O'Rourke's father-in-law, okay. and um, and I and I seen all of his movies and I was concerned about saying something interesting. So I said to him, I just want to tell you that um, that small Passover Seder scene you did in family business. That's a movie famously miscast movie, which has Sean Connery. Oh, right. As the grandfather, yeah. Dustin Hoffman as the father and Matthew Broderick as the grandson. With a total weird range of like accent styles exactly. that make no yeah. sense. They yeah, have yeah, no yeah. accents that make no sense, and and they're all Jew. Sean Connery is Jewish. So anyway, <laughs> so it's a famous misfire, but it's actually not a. It's not a terrible movie, but there is this one scene where this family has this kind of slightly pathetic small scene uh, where they have a Passover seder, and I said I just wanted to let you know that I thought that your Passover seder scene in family business um, was really very affecting. Like I, I, I was, you know, struck by how familiar that was and how well done that was or something. And he looked at me like I had three heads. Like, <laughs> why are you mentioning family business to me? You've ruined my day. You've ruined my day by mentioning this movie that I wish I hadn't, you know, I wish I'd never, uh, you know, done or something like that. You know, it was a very odd thing because I thought, well, this is going to be an interesting. And he probably was, like, yeah, we worked really hard on oh, that. Oh yeah, and, or, or, or he was saying, you know, right. thank and, you, you know, thank you for that. Or like, you know, I really, yeah. I feel like that movie didn't get it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I have, a, yeah. I have a, I have a worse one like that. I was at a party at this 
this this uh, Hollywood mogul place guy's house, uh, Rob Long's house. Yeah, sure. And um, uh, and I had recently seen a Mighty Wind. Oh, sure. Again, or something. I really like that movie. Um, and it ends with this weird thing about uh, towards the end of it, Harry Shearer beca- does this whole riff on how much he cares about uh, his skin regimen. And he uses <laughs> yeah. different unguents right. and has different things that he does with his skin, whatever. And Harry Shearer is at Rob's party. And so I start my conversation by just doing this whole riff about how his, I got to say, your skin just. It looks fantastic. It looks like you take care of it. I started quoting the thing, like, obliquely. And he gets all weird and starts, like, thinking, oh, my gosh, do I have blemishes and touching his face? And he has no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and before I can explain it, somebody comes up and says, hey, Harry, whatever. And you could tell he was so eager to get away from me that – like he actually thought I was like commenting on his pores or something like that. <laughs> and I've never been able to remedy it. No. So Star Trek, right. Invented the kind of, in some ways, fandom, as we now understand it was invented by Star Trek. First conventions were Star Trek conventions, right, right, right. you know, this three this, this middlingly successful, not very successful three season show that then hits in syndication in 71 or 70 of these conventions and they start inviting the actors, like, to come, you know, before Star Trek blows up into Star Trek. So, you know, Uhura goes to sign autographs <laughs> or whatever, and people come up to her and they're like, what was going on in, you know, in, in uh, No Man is an Island where you were, <laughs> what language were they speaking? And, you know, she had filmed it six or seven years before, and had absolutely no memory yeah. of what on earth the guy was talking about. Oh, of course. And they they talked about this over and over and over again, that they all like had to go to school on their own show <laughs> in order to be able to have social well, interactions to, with fans. They had to watch who study it. Right. And they, they had like, you know, basically had Twelve lines that episode, and otherwise were like in their trailers doing blow or something. You know, well that was probably not that. But 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 they also blow, yeah. they also didn't watch the episode. Yeah, like right. you don't watch the episode. You don't. Oh oh, sh- could you ever be quiet? You're at a bar. Like, should you on Star Trek? Yeah, <laughs> a, a friend of mine told me the most harrowing story ever. He um. That it was actually a Cheers – I think it was a Cheers episode, and he was a guest star on a Cheers episode. And it was sort of like the last week uh, he decided to leave L.A. He you know, hadn't had that much success at that point in his life, and he – you know, he – some people interpret getting a day player job on a comedy as like the sign that you should stay, and some people say, no, this is the sign that I should go. And I think he went back to finish college or something. And so he was leaving, and he left. Um, Not Swedish college, but Finnish college. But Finnish, yeah. But Finnish, yeah, it was better. So, okay. yeah. Um, and he was a day player. And he happened to mention, he was a bartender in Memphis. And he happened to mention to people that he had been in this episode of Cheers that was, and you can see in TV Guide, did the script, because this is the one, this is the one I'm in. Uh, and it gets out. And people are now filling the bar to watch that episode, including local Memphis television. Local bartender is a star because there was a bar angle. So they go, <laughs> yeah. And at no point did it occur to him that what we do is shoot every scene long 
I mean, every every show long, so we can cut stuff out. And when you cut stuff yeah. out, this you guess who you cut? You cut the day player. You don't leave the day player in. Um, so there was a high chance. I think he felt suddenly realized when the show was about to start that there was a very high likelihood that he wasn't in this show, that he had been in the <laughs> show, but we had removed that that part just to make time. Because um, we did it all the time, uh, and um, it turns out we didn't. But he was in the last scene, so he spent twenty-five excruciating minutes oh, being filmed God. by local TV, wondering how this was <laughs> going to turn out if he doesn't appear. Uh, and luckily, he did appear, and then came back to LA and acted. You know, I, I hope I hope that he became a wild success and is a political conservative because we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the principal <laughs> and tax friendly way to simplify your charitable giving. And I hope that he is one of the many people who have taken advantage of Donors Trust's uh, efforts. The Chronicle of Philanthropy recently reported that apart from the pandemic, fewer middle-class Americans are giving to charity. The Economist, moreover, reports charitable giving in America is being dominated by wealthy liberal donors who are driving the agenda in Washington, D.C. Do you feel called to help buck that trend and give to the causes that foster freedom and strengthen our communities? If so, Donors Trust can help. If you want to grow your charitable impact, open a donor-advised fund with Donors Trust and promote the organizations that are going to bat for everyday families at the local, state, and federal level. A donor-advised fund is like your own charitable investment account. With a fund, you can manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, and private. Donors Trust is unique, working with donors at all levels who share a commitment to the freedoms and principles that make America great. Donors Trust's philanthropic advisors can help you sharpen your giving, discover new groups, and define your charitable legacy. Join their community of liberty-minded donors at Donors Trust. To see how a donor-advised fund could benefit your giving, go to DonorsTrust.org slash GLOP for a free copy of our donor prospectus. That's DonorsTrust.org slash GLOP, and we thank Donors Trust for sponsoring the GLOP podcast. Um, uh, so this weekend, I took my kids to see the latest Marvel movie, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I saw it as well. So I'm fascinated by this for this reason, which is that Black Widow, the first Marvel movie to come out during the pandemic, came out two or three months ago and was widely heralded not only to be a box office disappointment, but maybe to suggest that the Marvel era is over, that they... They've lost the thread. People are just aren't that excited. And there were all sorts of interpretations about why. Because it, you could also watch it for $30 at home on Disney Plus's uh, premium service. Maybe that is the box office, blah, 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 blah. And something happened. So Shang-Chi, which is a property nobody knows and a name nobody knows, and uh, uh, comes out on Labor Day weekend. And it makes what is for the pandemic a gigantic amount of money. It made 90-some-odd million dollars in four days or five days. And here's what was interesting to me about it. We spend all our time, when you talk about movies and popularity and the success of things, talking about whether a movie succeeds because it's good. Or whether right. how or because nobody knows anything, so bad movies are big hits and good movies are big hits and everything, right? So Shang Chi is a is a 
pro- pro- property that nobody knows anything about. Uh, on its first night, it made $8 million, which was $5 million less than Black Widow had made on its first night. And the idea was it was going to make 50 or $60 million, and that would be a disappointment. And instead, it ended up making $93 million. And then this weekend, it was supposed to make $30 million, and it made 35 So here's here was my point, which is that when you have a highly successful you know, property that is made by a company that knows how to sell things and that people like and that they're this and that. You can tell whether a movie uh, is is hitting because people like it and are telling other people to see it, and that is whether a movie like that outperforms. And the idea, apparently, Friday to Saturday on the first weekend and then the second weekend, uh, it did a whole lot better than Disney expected it was going to do based on the way movies usually perform after the first night or the second night or whatever it is. And that that means that people are saying, hey, you got to watch this thing. You really got to watch this thing. You got to go watch this thing. And I, I was interested by this because as it happens, Shang-Chi is really good. Um, it's a, it's a startlingly good uh, movie. Um, with very funny and interesting and unexpected twists and turns and a couple of 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 action fight sequences that are, I would say, easily the best such sequences in any Marvel movie and maybe in any movie in the last 10 years or something. A fight on a bus and then a kind of choreographed dance fight between a man and a woman in the course of which they fall in love, which is very much like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon from 20 years ago, but nonetheless... Is, is pretty stunning. So uh, I'm now struck because the nobody knows anything doctrine, which was William Goldman's famous adage about how, why it is, why don't, why aren't more movies hits and why, you know, why do they make bad things and all this is that nobody knows anything and you don't know whether something's going to be good or bad. Um, I have two thoughts. I think we know. Yeah, go ahead. So that's, okay. I'm done. Okay. So first, I don't know if you guys, I can't remember if you guys ended up doing a, podcast without me so maybe you've talked about this but we were going to talk about how scarlett johansson was in the right for her lawsuit um because of the hbo max play and it strikes me that maybe black widow would have had a a less disappointing box i think she's right that it would have had a less disappointing box office if people if, if people hadn't streamed it you know but by having the option to stream it you lower the box office it seems axiomatic to me the other thing I would say is that 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 I agree it's good. I have some notes, I have some issues, but you know, grading on a curve, okay. Um, and uh, but I also kind of think that the fact that the, it was nine eleven weekend helped it because I think there were people. I mean, just this is extrapolating from my own um, uh, anecdotal perspective, but. Everything was so glum. Everything was so bad. You told me on text, it's really, really great. So I was like, ah, screw it. I, I, I hate everybody on Twitter right now. Everybody's evil. And I hate the TV coverage. And I don't want to do this modeling thing. And I and it seems to me that, like, the escapism factor was very high for this movie. And given the timing of it all, I think the 9-11 thing might have helped even more. Or maybe not. I don't know. But I do think that, like, if I were Scarlett Johansson, I'd be like, see, I told you the streaming killed me because, you know, we would have had the similar kind of box office numbers. 
Oh, I, I, I think you're absolutely right that she is that that was very bad news for Disney on that suit. And uh, and also transformative for Disney because they have basically abandoned the Black Widow strategy because of right. Shang-Chi. They said they are going to uh, from now on till the end of the year for the next year or something, everything is going uh, to box office only or first. I'm struck by the fact I have a I have an 11 year old, a 15 year old, and a 17 year old, and they all loved it. They loved it, loved it, loved it, and I I really enjoyed it. And and that, that's an int- that's a spread, right? That's an interesting spread. One boy, two girls, a 60 year old man. Um, that's a that, that's a many quadrants is that's a lot of quadrants. Yeah. Um, and so I figure, you know, we are. Um, and one of the reasons, and this is one of the reasons I like Marvel movies in general when they're not misfires, is uh, there is a lightness of spirit to them. This seems to be the real killer app that people rarely talk about. That there's in a lot for a lot of the way of the movie, they're structured more like comedies or like old time Hollywood comedies than they're structured like action adventure movies or you know superhero movies or something like that these are you know it's the classic thing right it's the story of an ordinary person endowed with extraordinary abilities and how weird that is and how weird their lives are because they're sort of living in the real world but it's really strange and so unlike like dc stuff and i know jonah has many anti-dc pro marvel views that you know dc is a kind of is not set in the real world, right? There, there are these mythical cities, you know, Metropolis, Gotham City, this and that. These are not, these are not our cities. But Marvel is always grounded. Like the Shang Chi right. is in, is in, set in San Francisco and Macau, and you know, uh, Black Widow starts in Ohio, and then they go to Cuba, and then they're in, I don't know, Vladivostok or something like that. It's all the real world and people who are supposed to be sort of like semi-real people except that they somehow have managed to get themselves into a place where they can do these astonishing things and you therefore can connect to them well it's funny you, you raise an interesting point um about the the being like comedy we talk about how like guardians of the galaxy is basically a comedy the first one and it's yeah. great but right um but you guys can hear me right we can hear you yes. now. Yes. Okay. Um, thank you. For listeners, Rob didn't have a stroke or anything. He lost connection for a minute. Well, who knows? They could have had a stroke and lost connection. But that's no. true. That's true. So either or, both. It's not an either or. It could be a both hand. But mm-hmm. um, I think we talked about this before. Um, how they don't really make good, funny action movies anymore. You know, the Beverly Hills Cop, Running Scared, right? Um, uh, Midnight Run. You know, they used to make a bunch of them. And I don't think we mentioned this though. Is that that like the one exception to that are basically like the Marvel superhero movies, which are action movies but fun. Right. Yeah. Deadpool. And, um, Perfect example. Oh, Deadpool's yeah. are like yeah, an extreme example. Um, and uh, um, I generally, I generally think that's good. Um, I, it, I don't want to go on an anti. DC tear because no no I, I no. I'm just, well, I'm just struck also by uh, this yeah I would, I would just say two things yeah. about about um Shang Chi Shang is that how you pronounce it it's close yes enough. there's a show there's bit in the movie where there's a funny bit in the movie where they spend two minutes trying to figure out how to pronounce 
his name. So his name. Uh, well, what's interesting yeah. about that is, first of all, no stars. Um, they, the, a gigantic picture, no stars. This is probably the first. Maybe Guardians of the Galaxy counts. Um, the first giant Marvel hit where they prove that Marvel is a brand. Mm -hmm. Really, in, incontrovertibly true. Um, it may or may not be banned, this movie banned in China. Um, the Tricoms are saying that so they may not let you show it in China. And you, so you may have this weird thing with a, a gigantic box office hit <laughs> when, on the one hand, it wasn't supposed to happen because of COVID and nobody going to the theater. It shouldn't have happened because there are no recognizable American stars in the picture. And it may not have a major Chinese box office revenue. And it will still be a hit, which those are three ironclad rules about Hollywood that have now been broken Absolutely. Two weeks ago, this was impossible. Could not have happened. Then it happened. And so, that is you know, like, what, like that is not just nobody knows anything. It's it's actually nobody knows anything. It's actually the first part. It like in order for that to like have any power, nobody has to know anything, but everybody has to think they know everything. So it that everybody in Hollywood thinks they know everything. So you got to go walk through like you know the. At breakfast or lunch or dinner place, and people are like, let me tell you something. Let me tell you what's going to happen. That's it's like <laughs> politics. Let me let me tell you what's yeah. going to happen. Let me let me tell you what's really going on. Let me let me explain to you how this is going to work. And then it, the op, not just the opposite, but all of the rules are broken. And um, my guess is that right now in 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 show business, people are trying to come up with ways in which this is just one specific, isolated, weird anomaly. This should not be part of the data set, where, in fact, this is the probably the most significant piece of news to come out of Hollywood in 12 months. What 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 is it the Chinese don't like about this one? We don't know. See, the we interesting thing about what's yeah. going on with the Chinese is that they th – this is – this what we're seeing here is a form of very interesting muscle flexing. Disney has been kowtowing to the Chinese – totalitarians for years now yeah this is a suck-up movie it's and you know they made mulan you know five minutes from an, a uyghur concentration camp they you know they opened shanghai disney bob Iger praises himself former ceo praises himself in his own book for his ability to work with the chinese and i think the story is that Disney made this movie with the idea that this would be some kind of huge game changer because it would explode in China. And the Chinese are like, wait, just let's wait a minute here. I don't know if we're going to let people see it because we know you made it for them. So we're just going to let you sweat for a while. And who knows what they want from Disney? We don't know. Not only, by the way, is it a movie that is about, you know, an Asian hero and all of that. And it does have a crime lord. It has this kind of like thousand-year-old crime lord um, in it. So you could say, well, it says that, you know, there's a crime lord in China or something like that. But right. not only that, but it has these two legendary Chinese movie stars in it, Michelle Yeoh and Tony Lung. And Tony Lung 
who plays the villain is a beautiful performance plays the sort of the the bad guy a um, good bad guy you know a good he's, bad guy he's complicated. But, but 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 tony lung got into a controversy 10 years ago because he said in some interview that he thought that Tiananmen Square had been a good thing, that the government had had to crack down. And at the time, he had to apologize. At the time, he had to apologize because there were people going crazy over the fact right. that he had said this and he said he was misquoted or something like that. So it's not even that. There's a guy I said it was who a great said. Thing. <laughs> yeah, there is a there is an actor who said Tiananmen Square was good, and the movie still can't get itself, uh, you know, into into theaters in China. So China is up to very interesting. Well, now so, it could be this. Let me. Can I posit a possibility? Okay, my theory is this is, is probably not real. My theory is the Chinese have been making movies. Actually, you know, Ip Man. I don't know if you've seen the Ip Man series. They've been making movies that are kind of kind of culture nation building, which they've never really done. Um, you know, they look at the American movie business and the American movie history, and they say, okay, well, Americans made all these um, you know, in the 30s and 40s. They made a lot of historical movies, and they made a lot of uh, westerns, and they kind of created the myth of the American and what the American is. And they have not done that in China. Um, and so if you watch movies like Ip Man or you watch a bunch of other movies with titles I forget, it, it's about the construction and the history of the Chinese culture and the local and recent Chinese struggles that were not communist. Um, and so they might look at Shang-Chi and think, um, well, wait a minute, we're going to make this movie. So we're going to have wow. our own version of it. So we're not going to release this into right. our country and our market because we got one we're going to make. Um, right. But right. That's, so that's probably part not what's one of my but, theory. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. So part one of my theory is I remember reading up when Kung Fu Panda came out and it caused something of an existential crisis in the sort of artistic community, film community in China. It's like, why, why are the Westerners making this movie? This is, this should have been our movie kind of thing. And I think there is some of that sort of cultural jingoism, you know, chauvinism thing going on. The other thing is, is that, you know, how like China, it doesn't just do it just doesn't ban movies it does prior restraint of movies to get to make sure that you like really learn the lesson you know like we won't take another after seven years in tibet they wouldn't take another like brad pitt movie for a decade um it could be that one of their concerns is that this actually turns out to be so popular in china and then what do you do when a sequel comes out that makes reference to Tibet or does something that violates the the propaganda line in China. I mean, as it is Wong, the um you know, this the master of the martial arts guy who's the sidekick to 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 to, to Doctor Strange. Strange. Yeah. He kinda dresses like a Buddhist monk to begin with. And I think that, that alone probably ha- causes problems for for the Chinese. Um so it may be like let's nip this in the bud because if we let this become hugely po- become a hugely popular franchise, then we're yeah. on the hook to the China to, yeah. to Disney about what they do yeah. next, and that creates a problem. Well, I was going to say the truth is that like Disney, as John said, <laughs> totally suck up to China. Like mm-hmm. basically let China approve the script. I guarantee you. Like they've already they've already said it's okay. The the shocking thing about like I mean it, it could work two ways, right? Because now China has forced the hand and now we know if you're a disney or you're a big studio that you actually don't need china 
to make a bajillion dollars. You can actually, there's a lot of Chinese people don't live in China um, who will go see your movie if you have Chinese stars in it. Um, I, I was just struck t today, uh, last week, I tweeted this, that I was doing the Sunday, uh, not the Sunday Times, but doing the Times crossword puzzle. And uh, I forget what day. And it was, um, uh, uh, you know, the uh, elevation of a regional, provincial Chinese capital. What Chinese capital, basically the clue is, what Chinese capital is at a certain elevation? And the answer was Lhasa, which is traditionally the capital of Tibet. We would say the capital of Tibet. <laughs> but, okay, but it's the Tibetan autonomous region. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, felt a very strange... I know. position I, for the I, New York Times same, to take. That's evil. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yes, Lhasa yeah. is now Chinese. In the New York Times, I, know, I remember. Was, like, uh, yeah. So, like in a year, are we going to hear um, what you know provincial Chinese capital is in Taiwan? <laughs> let, me <take> over. <laughs> well, let me let me let me put it to you this way, and then and then got to go to a spot. So. Bob Iger goes to Disney, you know, go, goes to China in 2011 or whatever. They arrange to make Shanghai Disneyland or whatever it is and open up the market. And it's really great. And he really, you know, this is what happens. And everything is terrific. And the Chinese government has taken a turn since 2015. It is totalitarianizing. It is getting much tougher, much more, you know, much, much harder line. Uh, we are now in a position where there is obviously real serious debate inside China about whether or not they should move on Taiwan. A lot of the, you know, the islands in the South China Sea, all of this. Disney's like, lo di do di do we have such a great deal with China, and we're going to make money, and they're going to make everything's going to be fine. They're coming along. And the Chinese government is like, silly little children, we are trying to become the dominant power on the planet Earth in the 21st century. Your toys are of relatively little interest to us, except in as much as they can help our mission. Let's see how they can help our mission, because if they can't help right. our mission, what do we care whether the people in China see Shang-Chi or not? Right. It is of no concern to us. We have bigger fish to fry, and that's part of the thing that's going on in general with the 30-year move toward, oh, we can go into China and make a lot of money and then they'll liber liberalize and all of this. Um, Chinese government has taken a very different turn and is not, you know, is now interested in what they can use with our tools to make their global dominance more easier and therefore, yeah, making Disney sweat because maybe Disney can actually start making propaganda for them that's really the question so let me right. move on to talk to you guys about start mail free email services like gmail and yahoo aren't really free you pay with your privacy in fact internet giants like big tech bank on exploiting your data by selling it to the highest bidder your business plan google has it your medical records yahoo can sell them to drug companies they know too much about us and that's why you should use start mail It'll make you feel safe again. Startmail keeps your mail private, period. Every email can be encrypted, even if the recipient doesn't use encryption. And when you delete an email in Startmail, it's gone forever. They use their own servers, not Amazon's, which means they can't be put out of business like Parler. Switching is seamless, too. You can easily transfer all your current email data. 
so there's no starting from scratch. Startmail is also backed by the most stringent privacy laws in the world. You get unlimited anonymous aliases. This feature protects your main email address from spam and phishing attacks. So when you're giving your email to a company but want to protect your identity, Startmail can generate a shareable alias email so people can't sell your information and they can be deleted anytime. Start securing your privacy with Startmail. Sign up today and you'll get 50% off your first year. Go to startmail.com slash glop. That's startmail with a T, S-T-A-R-T, mail.com slash glop for 50% off your first year. Startmail.com slash glop. Rob, you were just in Alaska, even though what I see behind you on our Zoom here is the uh, gorgeous a, a different Caribbean. climate. Yeah. Yeah. I was. Uh, I, I, so. Yeah. What were you doing in Alaska? Jonah, yeah. What were you doing in Alaska? <laughs> like what do you own alaska is it like your thing um i was uh tra- a bunch of friends and i went to alaska uh and we uh went up to you know the denali state park and we flew around in helicopters and walked around glaciers and uh took float planes and looked for bears and went rafting it was fun did you see any bears did see some bears um did see, i saw everything really the I mean, bears in denali are smaller than a lot of the bears elsewhere um because they don't eat a lot of salmon your bears are bigger what are you saying I was in Denali a few summers ago, and we were surprised at how sort of scrawny the bears were. I, I was uh, I was I, impressed by the size of the bears. What's important here is I, this is not a nature documentary. So the really important re- reason yeah. I bring this up is just to say um, Jonah, is d- d- is Alaska belong to you, or can Rob claim <laughs> some – can Rob claim, Alaska. claim it's a big to place. part of Alaska? You can you can go to Alaska. I just I was intri- I forgot that he would went to Alaska, and I was intrigued, you know. And I spend a lot of time in Alaska, so it's you know, but it's great, you know. Alaska is an interesting place. It's like it, it, it's different. Everybody's. It feels like you're in. Do you ever see the movie Ghost World? It feels yes. like you're in the graphic novel version of America. It just seems <laughs> a little, a little bit, bit, do, yeah. a right. little bit off. Well, like my experience, because uh, yeah, because I've been there, I think, twice or maybe three times, and and here's the experience, which is that you're you're in say Anchorage, and you're walking along, and Anchorage is a, you know, it's a city, right? It's a, it's a yeah. Um, my relatives call it Seattle North, um, and and it's Seattle North, but then you take a look, right? You look past the buildings that are sort of like on the horizon, and you see. Nothing. You see, it's like you, you see into eternity. Go to these towns if you go on a cruise, and um, and there's a town. You pull in, and there's like five streets or six streets or something, and then it's like this thing was plopped in the middle of Mars. Like there's the, Then it's just craggy mountains the size of, you know, uh, of unbelievable size and shape. And it's like, I don't know, it feels like, you know, people really aren't supposed to be there. Like, this is not a place, this is not really a truly habitable place. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, and, I know what you and mean. And it's now habited, and it's weird that it's inhabited. That's... So, I, I know what you mean, but, like, you know those great old pictures? I mean, you like looking at pictures of old New York more than I do. But, um, you know, those great old pictures of, like, people walk, you know, uh, of bringing their sheep to market past the Dakota on you know like seventy right, second right. Central Park West, you know? Right. The the you look at like it's to me it's sort of like the the a lot of those Western towns in the old cowboy movies is is 
you're in the wilderness, you're in the wilderness, and then, hey, look, there's a town over there. Right, right. <laughs> right up to it. And there's still some of that in Alaska in that you can drive, like, it's amazing to me in D.C., you can drive 20 minutes out of D.C. and be in, at 20 minutes, 40 minutes and be in farm country. You know, like, there are real still right. working farms just outside of D.C. There's not real wilderness for a while. Um, but in in Alaska, you, you know, 30 minutes outside of town, you're in the wilderness, you know? I mean, that's just you're the way the it is. Right. And I think that's kind of cool. It's also cool to, like, be – I mean, we were way in the wilderness, so in a, in a place where you can only get there by float plane. I mean, there isn't a road. Um, but on the way there well, – That's sort know, of Juno, it, by the way. You know, you can't drive to the state <laughs> capital. <laughs> you have to boat or plane, which is insane, but anyway. Um, but the fun of it was – you, you know, you feel remote and you're surrounded by this kind of crazy Lord of the Rings um, uh, scenery. And then there's a Wendy's. It's like they, they brought as much of a there's plenty of stuff there to remind you where you are kind of intellectually. And there's also plenty of stuff to remind you that you're in outer space. It is what outer space will look like when we take over. It'll look crazy and wild and it'll be a Wendy's. Fair enough. And you know where you'll be sitting in outer space if you <laughs> set up your office there? In an X chair. Because if you've ever been behind the wheel of a high-performance sports car or a high-performance, you know, spaceship, and you realize how much better a car or a spaceship can be, you may never want to settle for a regular car again. I feel exactly the same way about my X chair. From the moment I first sat down in it, I understood why many consider X chair to be the finest office chair in the world. Can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? My X chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My X chair can. It's all in the LMX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X chair. And once you feel the customized support of X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar or DVL, your back will never be happy in any other chair. Again, take my advice. Try X chair for yourself, risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you'll never go back. I promise. Go to xchairglop.com now. That's the letter X, the word chair, glop.com, for $100 off your order. Xchair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort. xchairglop.com, and we thank Xchair for sponsoring the Glop podcast. Okay, we got to go. So, Jonah, can people see you anywhere in the next week or so or two weeks or whatever? I believe on Tuesday I will be on special report. That would be um, Tuesday the 14th. We. Oui. Tuesday the 14th. Yes, that's yes. all I got for you. Yeah. Okay. Rob, will you be on Necker Island doing Necker Island things? I have no idea where I will be. I don't, I don't, I don't know whether I, they're going to let me off this island. I, we, we don't, we absolutely don't know. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be taking a series of, uh, of tests, PCR tests and antigen tests and whatever tests I need to take to prove that I do not, that they're, testing is weird that we don't there are not eight people with covid on this island um we are uh healthy and we need to go um although i mean you know if to, in terms of being in exile or being in, in quarantine there are worse places than a beautiful island of the british virgin islands but I, I i do have some things to do don't i maybe i don't big if true i don't know maybe well you know maybe you don't i don't know uh i uh just as you can hear Jonah twice a week on The Remnant, you can hear me every day on the Commentary Magazine podcast. Download it from 
Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you download your wonderful podcasts. And so, guys, it's been a wonderful time for me looking at the Caribbean on the Zoom behind yeah, look at that. Rob's head. It is gorgeous. It is. And I just, I would like to be quarantined on Necker Island. That's all I'm saying. Well, uh, here's, how, here's how you do. Just come down here and then you will test positive. That's how it works. Okay. Okay. It's so like, you I, know, it's like the lepers on Molokai. It's like, there they are. Their yeah. arms are falling off, but they're like, hey, look at that. Yeah. Look at that view. Yeah. 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 How about a pina colada? Yeah. <laughs> like, Should we tell listeners that we recorded this early in the morning and that explains the somewhat soporific, low energy, Jeb Bush like tone of this podcast? Yes. Yes. Oh, I think we should. Point. Yes. So we've never done it this early. It's nine o'clock in the morning. And though I do a podcast usually around this time and have more energy, I. I was up very late last night for no good reason, and so uh, and so I am. But I thought that this had a mature tone, a, a, suitable a, a to those of us quality. who are approaching retirement age. <laughs> it felt deliberate. Quality. It felt uh, very, it had, a, it had a very deliberate tone to it. Um, yeah, I, uh, we deliberately talked muted. about uh, old yeah. movies and uh, yes. Francis Bavier, who played Aunt B on. <laughs> Yes. Andy Griffith show. Yes. Oh, let me finish with this. Even. Yeah. The most exciting thing, aside from seeing Paul Wilson at Barty Greengrass, that ever happened to me was that one of the first movies I ever saw in a revival house was Yankee Doodle Dandy with James Cagney. Sure. I was probably seven or eight. And there in the movie is a young, excited man. And I practically screamed in my dad's ear, that's Mr. Kravitz. Because it was. There's an actor named George Tobias, and he was in Yankee Doodle Dandy, and it was 20 years earlier. Wow. And he looked the same, but he was 20 years younger. And the discovery that Mr. Kravitz had an, indep an identity independent of Gladys and, and, and the Bewitched household was uh, revelatory about you know, the nature of existence. So can with I just, that, can I can I finish up with one anecdote? Since you brought up uh, James Cagney, yes. here's how you know that you're old, an older performer. I saw Don Rickles performing once, maybe a few years before his death, and he was no longer doing. He did a little bit of the hey, you look at that that fat guy in the Pollock and the whatever. He did a little bit of that, yeah. but the second part of his show was all song and dance, which was weird. And he opened it by saying, um, "You young people." You youngsters, when you hear Jimmy Cagney, you just think, you dirty rat. But some of those old, older folks know that he was a terrific song and dance man. And then he does that. I'm like, what? That's when you know. When the young people are the old people and the old people are the ancient people, It's maybe it's time to say, you know what? No more venues for me. Okay, right. we'll, uh, we'll reconvene <laughs> right. with more energy next time. I promise. Bye. I took time out to ride with my old friend. I walked across that burning breeze. Mailed my letter off to Dallas. But her reply came from Anchorage, Alaska. She said, Hey, girl, it's about time you wrote. It's been over two years, you know. My old friend takes me back to the days of the foreign touch. Friends and me all night rock and rolling. Hey, Chuck, we were wild then. 
Ricochet. Join the conversation.